Yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. I never remember whether I said the future is here or here, so I'm just going to go there. It's just up there in the ether. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a show. Listen, many of you know who my listeners, my viewers over the past couple months that I am starting to use a chat bot called ChatGPT. And one of my colleagues, my former colleagues at SAP mentioned this on my crystal ball prediction show. And that was his prediction. I said, what is he talking about. I've never, that was in January. We're now almost at the end of February and I use this darling little AI powered chatbot for the research on all my radio shows. So I'm going to be doing a, I'll call it a sub-series here on Technology Revolution. By the way, panel wave hello to everybody on LinkedIn. Here we go. And on, yes. Okay, I sort of see a feed there. Um, I'm using it to do all my research for my introductions, for my monologues on my shows. And I'm starting a sub-series on the the value, the importance, the ups or downs, the good, the bad, or the not-so-anything of using AI as opposed to people who write novels. Is it written by a human or by an AI bot? They're writing. They've been writing articles for major newspapers for years. I know. You didn't know. Neither did I. And the the, uh, role of AI in composing music. It can compose music. It can do art. It's called Dolly, D-A-L-L-E. I know, a paraphrase on play on Dolly. And uh, in, in HR, Oh, my goodness, you can have AI write your resume. Is it true or is it not? So today we're talking about the future of human novelists versus, I'm going out on a limb on this, AI novelists. Is there such a thing? So let me give you my opening here. I've got four wonderful people, all experts in their field. One is a tech expert. Three are published novelists, very, very successful, each in their own right, in their own genre, Still wondering why I'm not getting. Let me refresh the page here on LinkedIn so I can see us in motion here. Here we go. So here we go. Um, so let me, I asked ChatGPT, you do a query, and I said to it, How do you write a novel? And it said, As a language model, ChatGPT, talking about itself in the third person, can generate text in a variety of styles and formats, including novels. While it can generate text that is well-formed and coherent, it may not necessarily generate a novel that is original, engaging, or emotionally impactful. Writing a good novel, here we go, and I'm talking to my humans on the panel today, writing a good novel requires creativity, imagination, and a deep understanding of human emotions and experiences. And that may be where AI doesn't do it. Then I queried ChatGPT and I said, what are the legal issues involved in using AI to write a novel? Let's say BJ or Matt or Barbara, I'll introduce my panel in a minute. Let's say they're stuck, writer's block. And they said, well, I can't quite get that character to get out of the house and commit that murder. How would I do that? They query ChatGPT and it writes a paragraph and they say, I like that. I'll put it in my book. So here's what ChatGPT said. As a machine learning model, I, now it's speaking first person, I do not have the ability to legally hold or own intellectual property. However, the ownership of intellectual property generated by a machine learning model can be complex. And it goes on to say that the copyright, if it writes the novel, belongs to the person who created 
the model, the AI who trained the model. They own the copyright to that copy. But let's say if BJ takes an AI-generated novel and makes significant changes to it, you can claim authorship, but you've got to go to the person who created the, let's say, the algorithm, and you've got to get their permission to say, I made material changes to what you wrote, so I own the book. So there we go. So, the, so then we have a, um, a, a quote here from Katie Ilanka Jero, and she wrote, AI reveals the most human parts of writing. And she says, with the advent of high-quality computer-generated text, Writers suddenly have, listen up, I'm waiting for a reaction from my writers here. Writers suddenly have a half-decent writing buddy who at least wants to do what they ask, even if it doesn't always succeed, and has no desire to take any credit. Well, she's wrong on that. I also asked ChatGPT for quotes about what is a novelist from P.L. Travers, played by Emma Thompson in Saving Mr. Banks, 2013 biographical drama films, the character said, a novelist is simply a person who creates imaginary characters and then sits back to see what they will do. I want my three novelists to raise your hands. Barbara, Matt, BJ, is that what you do? You create, yeah, and you wait, of, yeah. kind of, okay. Then I have a quote from Henry de Tambly, played by Eric Bana, the movie The Time Traveler's Wife, 2009 romantic sci-fi drama. I love the genre mix. They're just tumbling into each other. Being a novelist is like being a detective, only instead of solving a crime, you're trying to solve the mysteries of the human heart. Interesting. Can AI do that? I have two more quotes. Anne Hathaway playing Jane Austen in Becoming Jane, of course, biographical film, says, as a novelist, you have to be prepared to live with your characters for a long time. You have to know them inside and out to be able to write about them in a way that is authentic and true. Is that true? Barbara and BJ and Matt, you got a note, right? You you created them. You birthed them. I have a quote from Gil Pender, played by Owen Wilson in Midnight in Paris, a wonderful fantasy comedy film from 2011. A writer is the sum of their experiences. Go get some. I love that quote. Now, can AI go get experiences? Well, AI is trained, and right, Leonard? It's whatever the creators put into the database. That's all it knows. So raise your hand and wave when I call your name. BJ Magnani is back. BJ, the queen of all poisons. We love having you on the show. Leonard Lee, our expert in AI today, our tech guy. Thank you, Leonard. BJ said, you've got to get Leonard. She met you on my predictions. She's got to get Leonard for the show, and you agreed. Thank you. Matt Cost is back with us. Hi, Matt. Published Hello. and former teacher, I think. And he, yeah, he survived that too. He'll talk <laughs> about that. And Barbara Struna, Barbara, always wonderful to see you. And I'm asking them for their take on the future of human novelists versus, I hate to say this, AI novelists. Who writes the story? Who owns the rights? Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. Let's go around the table. I did my calculations before the show, and the number is the same for all of you. There are exactly 14.297 people in the world who don't remember you, BJ, who don't remember you, Barbara, who don't remember you, Leonard, don't remember you, Matt. So just update those people on what you've been doing since you were last up. No, give me a compressed bio for three minutes, and let's, let's get on. BJ, I'm putting you on speaker view. How have you been? What are you up to? And give us an idea for your passion for writing versus AI, an overview. Welcome, BJ. Okay. Hi. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks. Great to be here again and see all the folks in the panel who I'm getting to know pretty well. Um, yes, I am, as you said, BJ Magnani. I am currently professor of pathology and laboratory medicine at Tufts University School of Medicine, and that's my scientific medicine hat. But I'm also the author of the Dr. Lily Robinson 
thriller series, which is about a Boston pathologist who's been recruited by the U.S. government as a covert assassin. So I get the opportunity to, again, use my science in my fiction. So it's kind of a collision of both worlds. So do you want me to start a little bit on the topic, Bonnie? Or just, just a drop, just a drop. But I will tell you that Leonard is having trouble controlling his eyebrows because when you're talking about your background and poison and a assassin <laughs> of the government, he's going, I don't remember. She she said that we, we didn't get much of time for an introduction because we had 10 people on the panel on the predictions. And that's when Leonard, she, she writes novels about killing people with poison from Dr. <laughs> Lily Robinson, and she's very good at it. BJ, give us just a little tiny overview on are you using AI in writing your books? And would you, don't give me your predictions yet, but just a little bit on, on what you think. Go ahead. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. I did a little test last week. Um, I asked chat GPT, I gave it two separate tasks. The first task, I asked it to write a blog in the style of BJ Magnani, because I do write a poison blog every month. So I asked it to write a poison blog. I gave it the particular poison. I also asked it to cover two aspects of that poison. I would say that in terms of its accuracy, pretty good. I mean, I had to do a little fact checking, but it, it got it mostly right. But it was dry and, you know, it didn't have a little whimsy to it or whatever that I might add in mind. But I would say overall, not bad. Uh, then I said, uh, I, I gave it another task, and this one was to write a scene where Dr. Lily Robinson was in danger, again, right in the style of B.J. Magnani, and see what happens. And I have to say, I thought it was a complete boring failure. Um, it wasn't really my style. It uh, lacked real emotion. I didn't really get a sense of danger that a novelist can create. And it left me kind of flat. So, um, you know, there could be a, uh, I can see a, a way for using it maybe in the non-fiction, maybe not so much in fiction. I'll leave it there because I have other thoughts about my quote. Thank you. Good. When we get to the quote and the predictions. Th thank you for sharing that. You tried it. Wow. I appreciate that very much. I hope it was in preparation for being on the show today. Let's move to our tech expert. Leonard, you have been summoned. You have been called. You have been invited. You have been commanded to show up because we needed somebody from tech who isn't right. Leonard, you're not a secret side sidebar novelist, are you, by any chance? No. Okay, uh, good. Then you can stay. Okay, so <laughs> I just want to make sure we're, we're not colliding genres here of, of professions. Leonard, talk to us. Tell everybody, uh, since they didn't get to meet you really fully when, when BJ met you in December or January on my special, give us a little background. What do you do? What's next curve, your company? And a, li a little tiny bit about your thoughts on AI. Go ahead. Oh, geez. I need Chat GPT to help me out with this. I'm like terrible at it, and I hate doing this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I do it all the time. Uh, and I, I, I tell the story differently every single time. So yes, Leonard Lee, I'm the founder and executive analyst. I promoted myself this year. Thank you. Uh, of Next Curve. And it's a firm that I founded about five years ago with a mission of uh, working with, um, uh, you know, some of the big names in tech, quote unquote tech, 
on uh, a lot of their frontier priorities and uh, aspirations going into the future. So, you know, I, I have the privilege and I, I do call it a privilege to work with these companies in uh, helping them, um, you know, chart their path forward in, uh, in you know, our digital future. And so uh, as far as my background goes, I have going on 30 years in um, management consulting as well as industry research. So. Uh, I've done all kinds of stuff, so I won't bore everyone with the details of what I've done, but it's quite, an, uh, you know, I, I have quite an extensive background in technology as well as industry, uh, business transformation, strategy, geopolitics or politics, if you will. Uh, so um, one of the things that I'm doing with Next Curve is channeling all that experience, okay, that human experience, not, you know, generative AI stuff. Mm -hmm. into the work that I do and the collaborations that I do with uh, my clients. And uh, and one of the benefits uh, that um, comes with the job is that I get advanced views in um, emerging technologies. And so uh, one of the things that is part of my um, job is providing clarity around um, where these technologies are, what their potentials are, but also what are some of the potential um, detrimental, uh, you know, implications of these uh, technologies as they evolve, right? Because, you know, I, I, it, there's always this factor of readiness that you always have to, to consider as you look at these technologies uh, as they mature, right? And some of them, you know, simply die off. It was just hype driven. And so that's part of, uh, you know, a, a big part of the work that, uh, you know, big element of, of that goes into the work that I do with a lot of um, um, my clients, uh, as well as what I publish quite publicly on my, uh, on my research blog, which is at www.x-curve.com if I don't. <laughs> That's don't okay. <laughs> you can do that here. It's okay. Uh, yeah. what's, what's your thought on, on AI, though? Do you, would you use ChatGPT for some of your research, Leonard? Just just briefly. What do you think? Um, no, I, I wouldn't okay. because, I, you know, I, I pretty much have my own, you know, uh, human blueprint uh, okay. and, and cognitive, uh, you know, capabilities that I leverage to do my unique style of uh, research. And, you know, I consider that my secret sauce. And, uh, you know, so it's I, the real Leonard Lee. So, so I, I didn't think of doing it on AI as a, a writing buddy for blogs or research papers. That's interesting. I use it for my research because I'm not doing, I'm just introducing radio. I'm introducing topics. Right, right. And, you know, the, the stuff that I do is completely, you know, for the most part, pretty original. It's original thought. It's thought leadership. It's not, I'm not writing a report that is necessarily mm -hmm. observation or, you know, a collation of observations. It's, uh, you know, uh, there's a, um, you know, a, a, a it's synthesis that happens. A it's Leonard. Synth it's the yeah. magic of Leonard Lee. On that note, I'm going to yeah. move over to Matt Cost, who's waiting patiently to introduce himself. Matt, remember those 11 or 12 people who don't remember you, shame on them. Talk to them and bring us up to date, Matt, and a little bit about would you use a writing buddy called ChatGPT or something similar, Jasper or Bard? Matt, welcome back. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for having me again. And uh, Leonard, I really like the secret sauce statement. <laughs> I thought that was particularly good because that's what makes all of us special and keeps, yeah. you know, Jeff, 
chat GPT, you know, at bay. Um, a little bit about me. I decided to, as Owen Wilson movie that Bonnie talked to, live life a little bit before I got to writing and uh, get some experiences. So out of college, I opened a few different businesses. I opened a gym, which is probably the only one that nobody ever thought would go obsolete. Uh, it's because, you know, health and fitness seems to be continuing on. But I also opened a video store, VHS Tapes. And uh, while VHS uh, Tapes have largely gone obsolete, uh, movies have not. So it's just a transference. And I also had a mystery bookstore at a time when everybody said bookstores were going to become obsolete. <laughs> and uh, that turned out to not be true. We have a great resurgence in bookstores happening now. So that's pretty fantastic. Uh, after selling those businesses, I went into teaching junior high school students, seventh and eighth graders, social studies and history, which is sort of my forte. Um, and I did that for 10 years before kind of being paroled and let loose to become a writer. And so for the last five years, I've been dedicated to writing, even though I've worked on that craft ever since 1990, when I wrote the first draft of my first novel about Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution. And uh, I came back and I uh, recrafted that, visited Cuba and found my publisher who published that book on Cuba and since then, I've had 10 more books get published. Uh, my 12th book will be out in April. I have two mystery series uh, set in Maine uh, that have four books each with a fifth coming this upcoming year. And I have three historical fiction books. And I'm starting a new historical <laughs> PI mystery series that is publishing in April uh, set in Brooklyn. New York in 1923 called Velma Gone Awry. So uh, that's pretty much what I do uh, to maybe touch on the AI piece a little yeah, bit. What, one of the things I found interesting that Bonnie mentioned was that uh, if you have writer's block, uh, you might want to use the chat to just kind of generate a paragraph and get you back on mm -hmm. pace. And I think probably that might be a good tool for that. Personally, I've never had writer's block. So <laughs> Amen. I won't be using it. <laughs> Thank you very much. We, this is this is a, a, this is a true confessions on on AI and writers. Barbara Struna, it's time. Barbara, welcome back. You've been on so many times, as has BJ and Matt and Leonard. I'm delighted to see you. Are you in Cape Cod? I have to ask. Yes, I am. I just came back from uh, a big trip, Alaska to New York, uh, to uh, Los Angeles, just because I have children that live in all those areas. There you and go. So, so uh, Barbara, I'm putting you month. on putting you on speaker view. Bring us up to date. What have you been up to? And a little bit about AI. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, um, I've been. I have a series of historical fiction novels called The Old Cape, and I love history, and I'm always trying to connect it to present day. So I write in a dueling timeline between time periods. So I have a modern-day heroine who always comes across something. She's a historical buff, and then it always then I flip you back to either whatever time period that item is coming from, and then you just go back and forth discovering what she does, and then you find out why she's finding something or not finding something. So I'm on my fifth novel now, 
um, pretty good success. I was published traditionally for the first two and the others, uh, well, the company closed. So I went to self-publishing. So I've had experience in both uh, avenues. But um, it's funny because doing research for this, um, I would uh, go on my computer and I would get certain topics uh, answered. And, um, you know, and they're always the first explanation that comes up with no citations. That's AI written. I'm sure it is. It's a Google search engine. And if you notice, it never has any citations or references where it's coming from. That's all AI generated. So then I bounced over to um, my laptop, no, my, my little iPad. And I only read the paper, watch Netflix, and play a word game. That's it. I don't do anything else on it. Well, it came up with different answers because it tracks my behavior. So it came up very scary. It said, uh, I asked if AI could write a book, a novel, and copyright it. And um, it said, yes, I can. I can write a novel, and I will be copyrighted. Now, I did the same question on my laptop that I do a lot of research on and reading articles and stuff, different. It said, oh, no, I don't think I can write a novel. So you have two different people that it's appealing to based on their patterns. Wow. So you can see how some people can be easily swayed at a certain mental intelligence level. And that's what it it was really interesting. So I don't know if I'm going to use AI as much, even though it's using me a lot. Every time I answer a question or a CAPTCHA, when it asks you to tell me where the buses are or whatever, I'm teaching it. No matter what I do, I will. So, but it's just really interesting. And I, I do like to put in my own um, emotions and, and feelings into the books. And sure. AI cannot do that. And I don't think I would use it as a writing buddy because... It doesn't have the experience that I'm looking for to make a little twist or a turn in my novel that some people, you're not expecting it because computers, yep. AI, all work on what has already been said. That's right. Machine learning. Thank you. Very interesting. That's some new input. If you, you, you query on a device that you use for only certain things, Barbara, yeah, it will know fun. that part of you. I, I have not heard anybody experiment with it. Well, I was way. absolutely floored when I saw this and I said, why are they saying that? That's weird. That is absolutely yeah. weird. By the way, which word games do you play on your iPad? Oh, it's, it's a, it's a, I don't even know what it's called. It's a find a word where you have to, it, it gives okay. you. Okay. Cause I play words with friends. It. I play words with friends with six no, people I'm and one I've got myself. 25 games with. So I have 50 games waiting for me every night and I do that. That's my oh, sleeping pill. I don't pill. think I could do that. Barbara, that's my sleeping, BJ, that's my sleeping pill. I take the iPad to bed. I open it up. It says you got 52 games waiting. I knock them off. I knock them off and I say, oh, I'm exhausted. And that uses up the rest of whatever's left from the day. And then I fall asleep and it works like a charm every night. And then I do Wordle on the Mac here. I play Wordle and I have four people I play that with and we share our scores. A lot of fun. Anyway, uh, sometimes you get annoyed with Wordle because it takes too long. Never mind. Anyway, thank you all. The bios were interesting. I'm watching the reactions of each of my panelists to each other's bios. I think we all learned a lot about each other and a lot about the role of AI. Now let's move to the part of the show where I've asked my guests, of course, to send me a fictional quote that 
technically has nothing to do with the topic. Uh, BJ's is a little bit on the topic, but I'll forgive you because it's a cool quote and it's very appropriate. I'm going to read the quote, tiny bit of background, and I'm going to ask you to spend two minutes because I want to get to predictions and we're running late because you're all so interesting. What can I say? <laughs> Sometimes the, the bios just take over the whole show and that's fine. So BJ sent the following quote from Hal H. A-L, all caps, heuristically programmed, algorithmic, sentient computer, fictional AI character voiced, of course, by Douglas Ray. And the movie is 2001, A Space Odyssey, the 1968 epic sci-fi film produced and directed by who else? Stanley Kubrick. There you go. Hal is mostly depicted as a camera lens containing a red dot or a yellow dot. I should have a little pointer here. With units throughout the ship, he speaks in a soft, calm voice conversational manner in contrast to the people on the ship. So here is the quote, and we all know this one. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Response to astronaut Dave Bowman, played by Keir DeLay, asking HAL 9000 to open the pod bay doors. BJ, I'm giving you two minutes. What does this have to do with AI? Like, we can't figure it out. Go ahead, BJ. Well, I mean, in that um, quote, we know that HAL is a sentient artificial intelligence the artificial intelligence we have now is really not intelligent. It's really merely learning or, or mimicking what we give it. But I was thinking, suppose you did have a sentient program that wrote a novel with you and you asked it to do this. And imagine now that we're at the editing stage and like how... Hal has a stake in the game. Hal is fighting for his existence. He doesn't want to give up, you know, his um, authority or his, uh, you know, his power, if you will. Um, but as we know what happens in the movie, you know, there's a little bit of a, a, a turmoil there. Anyway, to get back to the novel, imagine that now we have this sentient program and when I'm editing it, I want to cut out an entire paragraph or maybe rearrange a chapter. And the computer program comes back to me and says, I'm sorry, BJ. I can't, I'm afraid I can't do that. Because now it has a stake in the novel. It wants its part in there. And so we might be conflicting with each other. So that was my thought about the quote. BJ, brilliant. Absolutely fabulous. I didn't know where you were going with that. Thank you. That was wonderful. Everybody agreed that was a really cool way to take it and spin it. Thank you so much, BJ. Okay, let me move on to Leonard. Leonard is quoting a song by Genesis 1986, The Land of Confusion. This is the world we live in, and these are the hands we're given. Use them, and let's start trying to make it a place worth living in. Oh my, Leonard, how'd you find this one? And what does it have to do with AI like we can't guess? Go ahead. Uh, um, yeah, so... Here's the thing. Um, AI, the way we talk about AI is in a highly generalized way. Um, and then the way that I think the broader, let's call it population, uh, perceives its capabilities and what it does, it tends to be fairly diluted and, you know, um, nonspecific. And that actually lends to a, a, a pretty big problem, which is uh, as you look at individual applications like ChatGPT, um, there's a sense of confusion that starts to build as um, 
expectations of what the technology can do uh, are um, are rationalized by what it can't, and that learning happens over time. Uh, and it's and and so what we're entering into, and actually we've been in it for quite some time, is this era of of um, you know mass confusion about what technology can do, and so you're seeing a lot of these really dramatic hype cycles uh, play mm -hmm. out. And um, and chat GPT is just part of that. Generative AI, if anyone's actually gone and looked at from silicon all the way up to the application, how these things actually work and what they can do, you will realize that what Sam Alton uh, said about two months ago is absolutely true, that chat GPT may be really good at certain things and mm -hmm. provide a misleading, and I want to underscore misleading impression of greatness. Um, mm. This is what no one seems to remember, but the, even the chat GPT application will remind you, but it gets ignored. And so that's going to continue to uh, contribute to the confusion in this land of confusion. Thank you. Very well done. And I will tell you that at one point I asked ChatGPT if it knew who I was. BJ, apparently it knows your style. It had never heard of me. But then I asked it about the title of some of my radio series. It knew those, but it said somebody else was the host and creator of those shows. And I think it said I had been a guest. Then it said it wasn't on Voice America. It was on a station I had never heard of, a different mm -hmm. production station. I can't even remember the name. At another time, it said to me, I don't search the internet. I don't do that. I am a machine learning. My database was packed as of the end of 2021. Right. I don't know anything outside of that body of learning. So I can't tell you. But it eventually found me as a guest on my own show that was hosted by somebody else. I love that. And it's not great with the with movie quotes and, and who the characters were. It sent me on some wild goose chases. Let's go on. Matt Cost, you sent me a very, 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 very long quote from a character who gets quoted in very simple terms very often, Dr. Sean McGuire, played, of course, by Robin Williams, late, great, left us for different reasons way too soon. He's speaking to Will, played by Matt Damon. The movie is Good Will Hunting, 1997. We're getting more modern here. American drama film. And Will Hunting is a genius, and he's a janitor, and he goes into this advanced combinatorial math challenge classroom, and he sees a uh, sees a formula, and he writes the answer, and they come in, what? Who did this overnight? Well, it wasn't ChatGPT because they didn't have back then. Anyway, so uh, the, the professor figures out who it is, and and he offers him counseling and a place and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so here is the quote from Sean McGuire to Will. I'm just going to read a little piece of it because it's long, Matt. So the quote is, so if, if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, you'll know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientations, the whole works, right? But I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. I'm going to stop there. Matt, how'd you find this one? Nobody ever quotes this part of what he says in the movie. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. It's one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite lines, and it's so true. And it's uh, very apropos for what we're talking about here, because Matt Damon, the Will character in Good Will Hunting, is really chat GPT. That's who he is. He's lived in this neighborhood of Boston and never experienced life 
but he's read every book. He's a genius. He reads textbooks. He reads novels. He reads about the Sistine Chapel. And, you know, he's got some hangups and some issues. And his therapist, Robin Williams, Sean, at this point, makes the breakthrough with Will and says, you know, you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You know, you might read all you want about it, but you can't get the essence of it, the soul of it, the core of it. And so that's why I think that quote was very appropriate for today's conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. As I say, nobody ever quotes that deep into the character. They give just a little, hey, boys. Well, that's from Dead Poets Society. They, they, they quote different, different quotes from the Rob Williams character. Thank you. Barbara, this is interesting. Barbara wins for the shortest quote of the day here. Um, the context is uh, the movie is Cinderella, 2015 live action romantic fantasy. Ella's dying mother, played by Haley Atwell, tells Ella. The 10 year old Ella was played by Eloise Webb, later played more a little bit older by Lily James, the actress. And here is the quote. The quote is, have courage and be kind. And here's the context. The mother says, I want to tell you a secret, a great secret that will get you through all the trials that life can offer. You must always remember this. Have courage and be kind. Barbara, that is the prettiest quote of the day as well as the <laughs> shortest. What does this have to do with ChatGPT? Can it be kind? Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was uh, again visiting my grandchildren, and we watch. I, I love to watch kid movies. I absolutely love them. And so we were watching Cinderella, and this mo the mother said this, and I said, "Wow, that's really neat. Have courage and be kind." So, and I said, "I could relate that to AI because most people are afraid of what's coming, even though." They have been involved in AI for a long time, probably since the 60s, and they don't even know it. And so what you what my advice is to have courage, but be kind when you gather all this information. And ethnic ethics are going to be a big part of AI. Who owns what? Where do I go from here? Should I take credit? What's happening? Or I just and, and if you don't understand AI and how it works, you will be lost or affected negatively. In, in other words, when a, your, your kid uh, goes to college and tries to apply, where does it go? It goes first through a, a, an algorithm at the college. That's AI. That's deciding that kid's future yep. immediately before it even sets foot on somebody's desk. And when you go to get a mortgage, or a loan, or yep. a, a credit card. It is all yep. AI generated first. It's looked at. If you don't meet the qualifications, you're out of luck. So you have to be knowledgeable and understand what's happening with your application mm -hmm. or whatever you do. So my advice is to be have courage to go forward, but be kind because you're going to have to make decisions that will affect other people. 
Thank you. And to paraphrase the Barry Manilow song, who writes the songs? I write the songs. The question is, I write the algorithms. Who's writing those algorithms that decide who gets to see a real HR interviewer? Who writes the algorithm that says you get the loan, you get the mortgage, you get to be published, you get to be in this, in this conference, you get any, anything that has a gatekeeper. You're absolutely right. And now there are people who tell you, you have to have these keywords, right? And this type of sentences to get past because Something is going to read and dissect and pull apart everything in that resume you send, if you bother to send it. And based on that algorithm, you will or won't get to the next step. It's very different. I've had some doozies of personal interviews around New York (laughs) when I was some real wow interviews with some really mean, nasty people who were not very kind, Barbara, I'll tell you. They were, they were, you know, what busters. And uh, it, it was an interesting thing that now it's all done differently. Thank you all for the quotes. Very profound. I'm, imp- I'm always impressed with the four of you, but I'm even more impressed now. Mm-hmm. Thank you for handling that. Let's move on to our predictions. It's 39 after already. We're still having fun. Uh, BJ, I'm looking at prediction number three. Uh, I think we touched on this a little, but let's go a little deeper. Let's take two minutes for predictions. And if you want to make a comment on something somebody else says, just wiggle one of your polite fingers at me. You've got four polite fingers on each hand. You know which fingers they are. One polite finger, I will see you. I'll call you in a one-minute comment. And let's just zip through these predictions and see what we can find. So BJ says, if AI is not programmed with a moral compass, mm-hmm. we may end up like dystopian fiction, The Terminator and The Matrix. <sighs> talk about predictions. BJ, talk. Yeah, so I guess I do wonder, um, you know, we've all talked about how this machine learning is just reading everything, but what is instilling a its moral compass, its morality, its right from wrong? And, you know, now when we create novels, yes, we sometimes create an antagonist who's got horrible attributes and protagonists who we root for and, you know, we, we see the positive. But, you know, is the machine learning, is the AI going to really know the difference? And what happens if it, it, it pours out real violence or exploitation or something that's culturally really distasteful? I mean, who's guiding it? And you have to think that we're talking here in the United States, right? So Presumably, the AI here might be learning from our books and whatever. But what happens if you live in a different culture mm-hmm. where maybe the morality or something culturally is quite different? Um, so, you know, I think those questions have to be answered. Maybe Leonard can help with that. Leonard, you've been summoned again. Any quick comment there, Leonard? Uh, no, I think BJ is making a great comment here. Uh, and, uh, you know, the thing is, is that you know, no one, I mean, a lot of these models are not programmed, right? They are learning models that, um, you know, uh, basically look at a corpus of data and they look for patterns and then they start to uh, produce output. And oftentimes, you know, uh, how the algorithm or that model uh, and algorithm works is is not transparent. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about transparent AI and stuff like that. Sure. But, uh, you know, there um, it, it's really um, there's all types of biases that can affect the mm-hmm. AI. And one of them, think about it in terms of commercial, commercial bias. Um, so if you start to monetize these things, 
there's a whole element of monetization that impacts the behavior of the AI. There's a, a bias in what it presents to you. Um, and then there's also like, not just the quality of the corpus of data or content that it's reading off of. Uh, you know, if you really look at the web, there's a lot of junk out there. Um, and it, just by examining that junk, it might produce and probably will produce junk responses. But then there's also the inputs. Uh, oftentimes what these technologies are a mirror of humanity and what we've seen previously with like Microsoft's Tay, which where they, they deployed a chatbot on top of, uh, you know, Twitter, new, uh, you know, Twitter feeds, it turned into a racist, horrible uh, entity that BJ just, you know, mentioned. It, it's, it's not a prediction. It's already happened. And the question is, are we going to continue to repeat these patterns because one thing that I think you really cannot assume is the quality of humanity being sort of on the quote unquote good or decent side. Uh, if you make yep. that calculation, I think you've, you're going off some very bad math if you know anything about the history of the web. Thank you very much. That's one of the reasons I stopped using the uh, social media platform that starts with TW, because just for fun years ago, I was watching it during the Academy Awards. And I was watching what people were chatting about, the people who were nominated, the people who were winning, and the nastiness, the vitriol. And now, for some reason, I get a feed in my email in every morning from people who are, are so out on the plank of, of ridiculously vitriolic, hideous statements that I, I, I have to stop. I have to figure out why it's feeding me that. Um, but anyway, it, it's interesting because if AI is formulating some of maybe these are not real people who are doing this maybe these are some some formulas very i, I got to think about that one thank you very much there some of them are amusing but they're they're are hideously just vile just really really vile leonard uh you've used one of your predictions in there so i'm going to pick a different one and i like your prediction number one this is interesting everybody okay matt and barbara and bj be polite when i read leonard's first prediction <laughs> be polite it was already in the meeting invite but i'm hoping you didn't see it he says a generative ai engine will co-author a Pub pulitzer prize winning fiction book Okay, Leonard, break it down for us. Seriously, are we in trouble here, the novelists? Go ahead. Um, yes, <laughs> in a way you are. And it's not because of your art and your lack thereof or that you are differentiated from in quality um, from what AI will produce. It, it's really the audience and what people are convinced and the trust that they put in the output. Uh, and I think that's really... Um, the essence of what I'm trying to say with that piece is that uh, going back to what Sa Sam Altman, who is the CEO of OpenAI, and again, stated this two months ago, the, these tools give you an impression of greatness. And so to, you know, let's say a less sophisticated audience, uh, they won't tune into uh, the blandness and, you know, uh, maybe some of the nuances that make great novels, great novels, right? It's, it's really that humanity. They won't tune into that. Uh, what, what will likely happen is going back to my statement before, there's going to be a commercial bias that pushes content in a direction that appeals commercially into, uh, you know, um, what the broader population thinks is good. 
uh, or what you know satisfies their interests or uh, Leonard, you know, it's time for a Jerry Maguire quote there. Show me the money. Yeah. Right. They think it's good. They'll buy it. Right. Yeah. Okay. I want to move. Anybody have any comments? I want to move on to a, a prediction from Matt. BJ and Barbara and Matt, you good? Leonard, thank you. I, I like that. Uh, very interesting. And then the question is, what would the name of that author be? And if we look that person up, will it be a nom de plume? Where will it come from? What mm-hmm. we'll, ha- we'll have to take a vote on what that name would be. Oh, it'll be Leonard Lee. Of course it will be. Okay. Predict- Pulitzer Prize winning. Yeah. Well, no, it's going to be the Leonard Lee novel. Prediction number three from Matt Cost. You say ChatGPT will displace 50% of the nonfiction authors in the next five years and almost all of them in the next decade, 10 years. Matt, really? That's a pretty strong prediction. Go ahead and defend it, Matt. Well, as technology is always changing very quick, quickly and rapidly, so is my mind. And so <laughs> since I made that prediction, I disagree with the second part of it. I do think that uh, AI will replace uh, 50% of nonfiction writers. Uh, the straight up just facts, um, you know, dates, events, and whatnot. But as I write historical fiction, I've always said that those facts are really just the skeleton of the story. And then to really fill out and understand the essence, and I did this as a teacher with junior high students as well, you have to get into the emotions and the thoughts and the talks and bring that skeleton and turn it into a, a you know a real live breathing human being made of flesh and uh, organs and whatnot. And so therefore, um, I've come to think that you know, while the bare bones of 50% of nonfiction writing will be replaced by AI, I don't think it'll go any further than that. And uh, because I think that the rest of it is still being brought to life by that individual author. And really, history is an interpretation of the past. So to you know, a lot of, and, and I'm basing a lot of this on historical nonfiction as mm-hmm. opposed to science or some other thing, but in historical mm-hmm. nonfiction, it's an interpretation of the past and the author usually takes a theme and runs with it. For instance, I always wrote on my chalkboard the first day of school, was George Washington a hero or was he a terrorist? And uh, that started (laughs) off that unit for me. And basically that says the winners write the history books. And because we, (laughs) the U.S., won the, you know, American uh, Revolution, uh, he became a hero. But if the British had won, he would have been a, a rebel and a terrorist and labeled as a terrible human being. So... You know, historians in their nonfiction really have to pick, you know, what they're going with and make their thesis and uh, follow that up with the proof that they're going to put together with it. And I don't think AI can do that. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on because we're running out of time and we have a great prediction here from Barbara Struna. Barbara, I'm looking at number two. I put it in the chat for you. The testing of the legality of AI in creative literary work will increase in the courtroom this year, 2023. One example, she's going to explain the Authors Guild versus Google. Barbara, you're up. Talk to us. Three minutes. 
Okay. Um, it's funny. Uh, I, I looked up what a copyright is. And um, the the term is works that are original and independently created by a human. That is the law. Mm. And so it a, a machine cannot copyright anything at this point in time. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen, not happen in the future because they're working on it. But if it's not created by a human, and that word is right in the legal law, you have... That's, I just thought that was kind of, I, I never knew that. I never knew that that was in there. And so um, I looked it up and things were changing by the day as I was looking up things. When we started back on this panel, uh, when you mentioned we were going to talk about it, mm-hmm. and I'm searching and researching, and then all of a sudden, within the last week and a half, things have exploded on the internet about AI. Look how, and it's just so quick and fast. And I'm actually, when I put a question out, I am ignoring anything before 2021. I'm not using it at all. I'm just discarding it, whether it's legitimate or not. So the, 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 what I'm talking about is, uh, I, I did find the Authors Guild was suing Amazon or Google. Okay. And, Back in 2005, Amazon went ahead and wanted to produce a huge library of books to be put online. And millions of books, some that were out of copyright, out of the public domain, and some that were still copyrighted. So the Authors Guild came uh, about it and said, you can't do that because there are some that are copyrighted. They wanted to put the whole library online, okay, every book that was written. And um, it went to court, and um, it it wasn't decided. They tabled it. They brought it up to 2013, and Authors Guild brought it up again to the courts to say, you can't do this. You can't take our royalties. Somebody has to be paid for this. And Google was saying, no, this is just out there for everybody. Well, the courts ruled that it is okay to be out there. It is considered fair use. Mm-hmm. In other words, it is a benefit for the whole community. It is an educational learning process. So nobody gets any royalties, even if it's copyrighted and so on. So that was kind of interesting. That was the, one of the first major things that Authors Guild has done. Now, Authors Guild has also has has been bringing up other court cases related to all of this. But so far, the word human has stayed in the copyright definition, and um, Authors Guild is going to still keep trying, I think. And um, it's just very interesting. One interesting thing that I discovered real quick about copyright was that a photographer, a photographer in Indonesia was taking pictures and photographs. He put his camera on the ground. A monkey came by and took a couple, several pictures. Yep. Though, and PETA came along and said that they wanted to use it and it was free, see, because it was d- done by a monkey. The photographer said, no, I want the royalties. It, came, it was my camera. Well, he lost. And PETA won and they were able to use it because of the word human and non-human. 
And Barbara, so. thank you. Fascinating. That's a whole other show, an extra show. But I want to tell you, I'm going back to my opening about the legalities of who owns the IP, the, the intellectual property. And right. ChatGPT says, in the case of a story or novel generated by a machine learning model like mine, meaning ChatGPT, listen up, the ownership of the copyright would typically be held by the entity or individual implying human that created and trained the model. Right. You'd have to go back how many iterations to find the person. That's right. Who input that code. We're just about out of time. Barbara, finish your sentence. Go ahead. Dear. Okay. I was just going to say, in other words, if Microsoft decided to do this because it gave us the word program, the program word, how they cannot benefit from all the stories that we've used as a tool. They were the original programmers that did this. So it doesn't make sense. That's not going to fly. It's going to be complicated, right? And it's going to be interesting. And somebody's going to write novels about the court cases of who wins these intellectual property copyrights on, on who writes the songs, who writes the books. I can, I've got two minutes left. I want to thank all of you for really diving in. Barbara, thank you for your research. I appreciate that. And that's what made me go back and look at this individual or entity. It didn't say human, but that was right. the implication. Entity would not be a human, but in, individual right. hopefully would. BJ, thank you so much. Matt, it's always a pleasure. Leonard, how did everybody think Leonard? Leonard did as our AI expert. They do pretty well. Yeah. See, Leonard, see, it was it was paid for you to get up early this morning and do this. Uh, and, and Barbara, always lovely to see you from Cape Cod. I want to do a shout out to Andrew, our very, very nice and polite engineer. He always says, how you doing today to all my guests? And, and I appreciate that. Andrew, you're wonderful. Uh, I just want you all to know you're going to raise your finger and we're going to say no, no, no on the count of three when I say the key sentence at the everybody put up your put up that nice finger, the index finger. There we go. People say the future is already here and we say one two three oh. no, oh, no 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 oh. because that was yesterday's future or the future that happened 22 and a half seconds ago or a nanosecond ago it's gone we're all going to do our best somehow to make it a better one yes we are bonnie d signing off everybody wave wait wait for pictures afterwards guests wave goodbye to linkedin wave goodbye to facebook Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.